Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Two, one. When I'm working out, I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer Jim Calhoun. NASCAR icon Dale Earnhardt Jr. Kirk Herbstreet is on the phone. And every Here episode three. We. Oh, podcast, so America, the Air Tour Sports Podcast. It is Thursday, March 18th, 2021, people, and I am just going to keep it real with you. This is my favorite single episode of the entire year, and really my single favorite episode of the last two years, since we, of course, did not get this episode last year, where we are going to spend the next half an hour or so breaking down the brackets. That's right. I will give my official bracket picks. We will go game by game. I know we did that on Monday, but these are now the official picks, and I will put it all on paper, put it on the record, so in two weeks from now, you can absolutely make fun of me and tell me what I, what an idiot I am, but we will make the official picks, and I'll warn you, by the way, they have changed since Monday. I actually have a new national champion. I have a new Final Four team, all changed since Monday. So we will do the NCAA tournament bracket picks from my perspective. You guys can listen, get my insight on these games. From there, we will then do a short but fun best bet segment. And what, what, what I want to do is basically look, a lot of you guys follow me on Instagram at Aaron underscore Torres. I've been giving a lot of, out a lot of college basketball bets. And I just think, look, this is the world that we live in. A lot of you guys live in Michigan, Virginia, uh, Tennessee, Illinois, all these states where you can legally gamble. So I want to give you a couple of my best bets heading into the opening night of the NCAA tournament. And then, of course, from there, we will wrap with a really cool guest that I think you'll enjoy. Dan Engelstead, the head coach of Mount St. Mary's. And many of you are wondering, why Mount St. Mary's? That's very random, but it's for a couple reasons. One, I thought it would be really cool to get somebody from within the NCAA tournament bubble. I thought that would be fun. He is there. They were one of the first teams to arrive. He describes what it's like, how they're eating, how their hotel, like everything that you'd want to know about the bubble. But then on top of that, Mount St. Mary's actually tips off tonight, Thursday night against Texas Southern. How about this? First NCAA tournament game since Virginia Texas Tech in 2019. So you talk about just a random thing. We will have our first NCAA tournament game tonight, four games tonight. But uh, Dan Engelstead, the head coach of Mount St. Mary's, will be joining me to end the show. Before we get started, I want to remind everybody, please make sure that you are subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. If you are on the KSR feed, go ahead, come on over, find us, make sure to subscribe specifically on the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast feed. You can do it on iTunes, the Podcast Addict app, 
Podbean, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, wherever you listen to podcasts, make sure to subscribe, make sure to rate and review the show. Go ahead, give us a quick five stars, let us know what you like, what you don't like, all that good stuff. And as I just said, I am on social media, at Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter, at Aaron Torres Pod on Instagram, a lot of fun stuff on those two pages. Let's get to my official bracket, but before we do, before we get to my bracket, I do want to welcome back... Our good friends, our new sponsor, they've been with us all March long, and I love them. I'm talking about Bracket Fanatics. Look, guys, it is that time of the year. We're all filling out brackets at the office, at home, with your family, all that good stuff. But what is the worst part about running a bracket pool? Besides when a 15 seed upsets your national champion in round one, it's the hassle of actually running the bracket pool itself. We all know how it goes. One guy wants to pay you next week. The next guy is going to Venmo you in July. Somebody wants to pay you in crypto, and you don't even know what crypto is. Your tallying points at 2 a.m. Too much work if you ask me. That is why Bracket Fanatics and BracketFanatics.com we are welcoming in as our official sponsor. If you're running a bracket this year, and by the way, it is not too late to sign up. You can do it through the start of the games at noon Eastern on Friday. Bracket Fanatics is the only site and only app you should be using. It's a true social networking app, and unlike those other loser websites like Yahoo, once you set your pool, your work is done, everybody pays in one place, you can even talk smack, make side bets, no chasing down money at the last minute, you don't need to get have some weird Yahoo email to get set up, just set, up, set everything up, invite friends, and you're good to go, and once the tournament is done, payments are sent straight to winners, all at BracketFanatics and BracketFanatics.com. On top of that, unlike those loser competitors, there are no banner ads and Bracket Fanatics will not sell your information to advertisers. This is the perfect app for March, so this is what you need to do. Assemble your crew and get signed up at BracketFanatics.com. Make sure to use the promo code TORRES to be entered to win a $1,000 giveaway, which is awarded at the end of the tournament to the bracket with the most wins, but only if you use promo code TORRES. Once again, pull up your browser when you sign up. Use BracketFanatics.com and use the promo code TORRES to be entered to win a $1,000 cash prize. And I should mention, by the way, I am doing a bracket challenge through the Aaron Torres pod, join the community, join friends, join people that listen. You can find it on Twitter at Aaron underscore Torres. If you find me, you will find the the Aaron Torres podcast bracket fanatics challenge. Um, and it's really fun. As I said, if you sign up, we got a couple hundred people signed up already. If you sign up, uh, you're automatically entered to win a $1,000 cash prize if you use the promo code Torres when you sign up. So that's really cool. And then on top of that, as I've told you, we got two great gifts, uh, two Buffalo Wild Wings gift cards to the top two scorers in this Bracket Fanatics Challenge for the Aaron Torres pod. It is free to enter. Just to be clear, people have been asking me, how much do I have to pay? You don't got to pay anything, man. It's all for free. I'm giving you the gift cards, and if you use promo code Torres when you sign up, automatically enter to win a $1,000 cash prize. Bracket Fanatics, find me on Twitter at Aaron underscore Torres, and you will get details there. And with that said, people, no more time to waste. Let's get into the meat of the show. And hey, let's talk brackets. For the first time in two years, we have a bracket. It's time to fill it out. Last time we had one, some of you had Virginia winning the national championship. Some of you had Duke and Zion, if you want to know how long ago it was. Uh, I think I had Gonzaga with Rui Hachimura and Brandon Clark. I can't remember. But the point is, we have brackets. And let's just start. Let's just start from the beginning. Uh, let's start where I did last week. And I want to go ga- or on, th- on Monday's episode. 
And I want to go game by game, and I really just want to talk about all the different matchups, who I like, who I don't like, who I have advancing, all that stuff. And in most brackets, if you start in the top left, it will start with the West region where Gonzaga is the number one seed. And what I will tell you, if I have one big broad takeaway about this region, it is that Gonzaga has about as easy of a draw as you can ask for. Some years people say, oh, they have it so easy. I don't know that I believe that. This year they do, though. I mean, you look at the scenario where the number three seed in this bracket, Kansas is going to be down two guys because of COVID on uh, throughout the weekend. Obviously, Gonzaga would not play them until the Elite Eight, but they're down at least two guys now. Who knows what they're going to look like? Who knows how healthy they're going to be? Virginia isn't even flying in until Friday to play a Saturday game. Everything is just set up for Gonzaga. And I know I talked about that on Monday's episode, but it would be a weird, bizarre disappointment if they didn't at least get to the Final Four out of this bracket. But let's start at the top with Gonzaga. Look, they're going to cruise past Norfolk State, no problem. Let's go to that 8-9 game. I actually like Missouri. If you did not see kind of big news out of the bubble on Wednesday, Oklahoma starting point guard uh, Devion Harmon is out with COVID. He will miss at least the first two games. I liked Missouri anyway. Uh, Oklahoma really struggled down the stretch as far as, as a team that just did not look right over the last couple weeks of the season. They went 1-6 and six down the stretch. Uh, even with Davion Harmon, their only win was to Iowa State, who was absolutely terrible. They didn't win a Big 12 game. Oklahoma's 1-6 down the stretch. So I liked Missouri to win that game anyway, even though the news with Davion Harmon had not come out to the point uh, when I had first filled out my bracket, but I do like Missouri in that one. Moving to the 5-12, look, I talked about this a lot on Monday's episode. I think UC Santa Barbara's a live dog, and I think Creighton is one of the most confusing teams that I have not been able to figure out all year long as far as what is their deal. Even down the stretch, three and three down the stretch, they look great in the Big East Tournament semifinals. They beat UConn um, in a classic semifinal game. Then they get destroyed by Georgetown in the championship game. We'll get to Georgetown in a minute, but I just don't know what I'm ever getting from them. The one thing I will say, though, is it does seem like every time that you're ready to just give up on them, they play really well. Their top three shooters, Marcus Zagorowski, Davion Jefferson, and Mitch Ballack all shoot over 40% from three, and they're actually a pretty good defensive team. And so I will take Creighton here. I talked about Santa Barbara. They are one of the more talented mid-major programs. Um, they are a team that actually has a lot of high major guys. Their starting point guard, Ja'Cory McLaughlin, began his career at Oregon State. He was phenomenal in the Big West Championship game. Their starting power forward, Miles Norris, began at Oregon. They have a big guy named Amadou Sow. But I do think that Creighton has too much athleticism, too much shooting, too much scoring, and I do think they win this game. The 4-13 game is where it gets really, really, really interesting because, as I mentioned, uh, Virginia is not flying in to Indianapolis until Friday for a Saturday game. As of right now, we do not know who is available and who isn't for Virginia, but here's the other thing. They are coming out of quarantine and going straight basically to the airport. They're, they're practicing on Thursday, flying out Friday, and playing on Saturday. And I just think when you look at this team, this is a tough, tough, tough spot, not only because of that situation, but one... I really didn't like them all that much uh, coming into this game because of the fact that they're playing a really good Ohio team. 
Ohio has a kid named Jason Preston, 17.7 assists per game this year. He nearly had a triple-double at Illinois, and I thought this was a bad matchup for Virginia anyway. I wasn't a huge fan of Virginia again coming into this one. They were only 3-3 three and three down the stretch. I know they won their ACC tournament opener, but when I looked at this team, I was worried about them anyway. So this is your first official Hoodie AT upset, Torres upset of the NCAA tournament. I do have Ohio beating Virginia and advancing to the second round. I have many more upsets, by the way. Moving down to the 6-11, I do think Wichita State, by the time any of you listen to this, you'll know whether Wichita State is one or not, but I think they beat Drake. Drake's pretty banged up. Their starting point guard's out for the season. Their leading scorer may not play in this game. I like Wichita convincingly. They will play USC, and I actually like USC. USC, for people who do not know, has a player named Evan Mobley who is going to be a top five pick. He was Pac-12 Player of the Year, Pac-12 Defensive of the Year, Pac-12 Defensive Player of the Year, Pac-12 Freshman of the Year. He is a stud, and USC is an elite rebounding team, a, an elite rim protection team, and an elite um, defensive team just in general. Top 10 nationally in many defensive categories. So I think USC wins this game pretty convincingly, and they just strike me as a team that could do damage in the second round, which we'll get into in a minute. Um, from there, Kansas against Eastern Washington. L listen, Eastern Washington's kind of a fun team. Eastern Washington, I do think, can give Kansas a little bit of a game. As I mentioned with Kansas a minute ago, they have kind of a bizarre deal where um, one of their players, David McCormick, was not available last week. He is coming off COVID protocol. He will be able to play. But Jalen Wilson, another one of their stars, is not available for this opening weekend. He could, or opening round, excuse me. He could, in theory, play on Monday if Kansas advances to the second round. But with Eastern Washington, they're a high-scoring team, five different players in double figures, and they do a great job of taking care of the basketball, only 11 turnovers per game. So this will not be an official bet, but I expect Eastern Washington to keep it close at least for a half. Would not surprise me if this was competitive late. I will take Kansas. From there, let's keep on going down the bracket. How about this? I think Oregon VCU might be one of the single best games of the opening round. VCU, for people who do not know, they have a point guard named Bones Highland. Nashawn is his real name, but they call him Bones Highland. This kid is a future NBA player. 21 points per game, a bunch of steals, one of the best guard defenders in the country. And VCU only does one thing at a really, really, really elite level. And you know what that is? That is turning forcing you to turn the ball over. They force 16 turnovers per game, almost 17 turnovers per game. And when I look at this team, I think Oregon's going to win because they have too many dudes. Uh, Eugenio Maiori, uh, Chris Duarte, who is going to be an NBA draft prospect, a first-round pick this year. They got another kid named LJ Figueroa who played at St. John's. But I'm just telling you, you want high scoring, you want up and down, you want fun. I really think this is going to be a phenomenal game, although I do have Oregon. And then to close out the bottom of the bracket, uh, shout out to my buddy Austin Montgomery. He is a Grand Canyon alum. And I will tell you, how about this for a fun fact on Grand Canyon? You know who's number one in America in field goal percentage defense? Well, it's actually Houston, which we'll get into in a minute. But number two is Grand Canyon. I think they can make things interesting with Iowa, but I do think Iowa has too much size, too much too much speed, too much physicality. I do think Iowa wins that game. I guess we'll just go region by region. I'll go back to the top of the bracket. Second round, Gonzaga versus Missouri. I mean, I like Gonzaga. I mean, I don't want to be a jerk, and maybe I'll look stupid, or maybe I'm jinxing Gonzaga, knock on wood. I hope I'm not, because I want to see them do well. But when I look at this team, 
Um, I, I just see a team really honestly that in Missouri, they just struggled down the stretch. I think they were something like, you know, 12 and three and they finished three and six towards the end of the season. And that is just not the kind of team that I think is going to be able to stay competitive with Gonzaga for thirty mi- for forty minutes. Excuse me. I would add on top of that, um, Missouri's defensive numbers were really good early and really fell down late. So I think Gonzaga cruises in a second round game against Missouri. Creighton versus Ohio in round two, and this is another one. I like Creighton. Um, I, I don't love Creighton. I just think that the draw works out nicely for them. I don't believe they'll have to play Virginia. I do have Creighton going to the Sweet 16. Again, they are hot and cold, but when they are locked in, they're a really good team. They're one of the best three-point shooting teams in the country. Average 10 three-pointers made per game. I think that'll be a fun, high-scoring game, but I do like Creighton to advance to the Sweet 16. I mentioned this a minute ago. USC Kansas. That is actually an upset special if it ends up being an upset. We'll see if it what the point spread is. I like USC here and it's for the reason I just mentioned a minute ago. USC is one of the elite rim protecting teams in the country. Evan Mobley is going to be a lottery pick as I said at this point. They hold opponents to 39.3% shooting and again are in the top 10 nationally in blocked shots. And so when I look at USC They are just going to give Kansas problems around the rim. Kansas, the way to beat them, make them take jump shots. They are not a great shooting team, Kansas is not. And because of it, if you can keep them out of the paint, if you can keep them from dominating you down low, then I just think that to me, I believe that we are in a scenario where Kansas is really going to struggle here. They shot 34% from three, 44% from the field. Those are good numbers, but they're not elite. And when USC is going to be able to protect the rim and get a bunch of boards, I like USC as the sixth seed there to advance to the Sweet 16. Shout out Andy Enfield. Shout out Evan Mobley. Shout out Isaiah Mobley. Shout out their dad, Eric Mobley, who's actually a very nice guy. Bottom of the bracket, uh, Oregon, Iowa. I said Oregon VCU will be one of the best games of the opening round. Let me take it a step further. If we get Oregon-Iowa, and we better, because that's my bracket, I think that could be one of the best games of the entire NCAA tournament. When you talk about just fun, fast-paced, teams that can score, all that stuff, Iowa, they are in the top 10 nationally in scoring. As I said, Luca Garza, five different guys in double figures. Oregon averages about 75 per game. It's a little bit deceptive. They were much better late. Uh, I just think it's going to be a really fun game. But I do think that Iowa will advance out of that quadrant. So my four Sweet 16 participants, Gonzaga, Creighton, USC, and Iowa. In terms of the Sweet 16 to go to the Elite Eight, Gonzaga, Creighton, listen, I said it on Monday's episode, I do think Creighton is probably the toughest team that Gonzaga is going to have to face in this bracket. Now, could Oregon give them problems? Could Iowa give them problems? In theory, yes, But I just think when I look at Gonzaga's path, listen, you guys know I'm a a Gonzaga defender, but this is about as manageable of a path as, as they could possibly have. Again, Creighton defends better than they get credit for. They shoot a lot of threes. But listen, you look at their schedule. They lost at Kansas. They got swept by uh, Villanova. Now, they did sweep UConn in three straight games, but I think that while they will be tough for Gonzaga, I do think Gonzaga gets out of that one. That's the toughest one that they'll play all year. And then I do think when you get to the Sweet 16, USC versus Iowa, I do like Iowa. 
Listen, this isn't uh, Team Luca Garza, but I do think you know they're one of the few teams that can match the size and physicality that USC is going to play with. USC is not a super dynamic offensive team. They basically rely on shutting you down, but if you can match their size down low, match their physicality, you can beat them. Colorado is the probably the biggest, most physical team in the Pac-12. Colorado beat them three times this year, including in the Pac-12 tournament. So I do like Iowa and Gonzaga to advance to the Elite Eight. And then from there, I like Gonzaga. I mean, we saw this matchup once. And I just think, while I love Iowa. I love Luca Garza. It kind of goes back to what I said when we were in the Big Ten tournament. We were talking about the Big Ten tournament. Um, I picked Illinois to beat Iowa. And I said, look, it's not because I think there's anything fundamentally wrong with Iowa. It's just I think sometimes late in the season when you're playing all these high leverage games, you just run into a team that is better than you. And I just think Gonzaga is better than Iowa. So yes, I do have Gonzaga coming out of this bracket, and I do think they're the best. Let's move to the bottom left portion of your bracket, and let's go to the east. And I told you on Monday's show, this is, I'm not kidding when I say this is one of the single most confusing brackets that I have ever seen. Because with Michigan, Isaiah Livers being banged up, basically being out of the tournament, I mean, I think there's legitimately like five, six teams that could make the Final Four out of this bracket. I think Michigan can. I think Florida State can. I think Texas can. I think Alabama can. I think UConn can maybe get to an Elite Eight. I think LSU, if they can get by Michigan, can get to an Elite Eight. So you just talk about so many games that could go either way. And to those of you who get this bracket right, shout out to you because this is not an easy bracket. But let's start at the top. Michigan will be playing the winner of Mount St. Mary's, Texas Southern. Shout out Dan Engelstad. You'll you'll hear him later. I have Michigan winning that one, obviously. LSU St. Bonaventure in the 8-9 game. That is one of the more intriguing matchups of the opening weekend of the NCAA tournament. Just like two polar opposite teams, okay? We have a situation at LSU where they are so talented. We saw it in the SEC championship game. Trenton Watford goes for 30. Cam Thomas is awesome. Javante Smart is awesome. And we saw it. And I said, like, look, they get the right matchups. They are going to be a problem in the NCAA tournament. They are also ranked in the top 10 nationally in scoring just a very dynamic offensive team. St. Bonaventure is the exact opposite. When you look at St. Bonaventure, they are basically one of the elite teams defensively in college basketball. They basically don't beat themselves. I mean, if there's one way for me to put it, it's that they don't beat themselves. They ranked uh, number, excuse me, they, they only allowed 60.4 points per game which is just absolutely absurd, top 10 nationally, 38% shooting from the field, 11 turnovers per game. I'm telling you, they don't do anything to beat themselves. LSU is the exact opposite, super talented, but they just beat themselves. And I can't believe I'm saying this. And I think a lot of you probably have LSU not only winning this game, but beating Michigan to go to the Sweet 16. I'm taking St. Bonaventure in this game. I am taking St. Bonaventure to, I guess in theory, upset LSU because I just think St. Bonaventure is the team that is not going to beat themselves. And when you look at St. Bonaventure, yes, they're very limited athletically, but listen, they just played a team in the, the A-10 tournament in, um, in VCU that is way more athletic than them, and they destroyed them. And then, oh, by the way, St. Louis, way more athletic than them, and they destroyed them. St. Bonaventure, like, I don't want to make them sound like Hickory High School here, like they're going to be throwing bounce past back door stuff, but they're just going to take care of the ball. They're not going to beat themselves. And because of it, as crazy as it sounds, I like LSU. LSU kind of has a little bit of a Tennessee vibe going as far as I'm concerned in that 
I just think that you know these teams, you just wait for them and wait for them and wait for them to figure it out, and it just never happens. By the way, fun fact in, on this game, courtesy of my buddy uh, Zach, my intern Zach, this will be the first game, NCAA tournament game, that Will Wade coaches at LSU. Never forget, two years ago, was suspended uh, and refused to meet with his, his bosses. So Will Wade was not part of that NCAA tournament run to the Sweet 16. But I do have St. Bonaventure pulling off the upset here. From there, we go down to the 5-12 game. And you want to talk about upset? I got Georgetown over Colorado. <laughs> and I'm going crazy with the upsets here. And I, I already hate my bracket. But listen, there's no turning back now. It's official. I said it on Monday's show. And I, I'll stop saying I said it on Monday's show. But it's important because I don't want to keep reiterating the same points. Georgetown and Colorado, to me, are essentially the exact same team. They're big, they're physical, they're athletic. Colorado's got a better point guard. But I think when I look at Colorado, what did I just say? If you can match their physicality, if you can match their toughness, you can beat them. And Georgetown, man, I'm just telling you, maybe I'm drinking the Patrick Ewing Kool-Aid. But what I am, when I saw that team, they are so big and so athletic, they make things so tough for teams late, so tough for teams defensively with their closing speed, their athleticism. I mean, Creighton is an elite offensive team. They couldn't even get shots off. And so I look at this game. I know Colorado has the better point guard. They have a point guard named McKinley Wright, who is a stud. I like Georgetown in this game to win this game and to advance to the second round of the NCAA tournament, upsetting Colorado in the next matchup, which is the 4-5. Look, I like Florida State. I don't need to spend a ton of time on this. I, Florida State's just, they're just too good for UNC Greensboro. UNC Greensboro is not very good defen- or offensively. They have one kid, Isaiah Miller, who averages like 19 a game. Nobody else on the team averages double figures. And I look at this game, Florida State's going to shut them down. This might be a good underplay. If you're, if you're looking to bet games, I won't bet it, but the under is probably a play here. Two very good defensive teams. The 6-11 matchup. I actually, and this might be really dumb of mine, but I like Michigan State to win tonight, Thursday night, and I like them to beat BYU in the second round. Now, if Michigan State loses, uh, you remember, you can fill out your bracket on Bracket Fanatics through noon Eastern on Sunday. I would probably take BYU to beat UCLA if those two teams meet. But I like Michigan State. I think BYU is really tough, really physical. They have one guard that's really good. His name's Alex Barcelo, transferred from Arizona. But if you can just keep him from basically scoring 30 points, you can beat BYU. They don't have a lot of athleticism. They got they got a lot of size and physicality, but they're not a great three point shooting team. They're not they're not really great at anything except for just being tough and out toughing you. And I think if you can handle the toughness, which we know Michigan State can, they'll be fine. The three fourteen matchup. I'll just tell you this: I do have Texas, Abilene Christian. You should be worried about though. I actually think in some ways Abilene Christian is going to be a tougher game for Texas than just about anybody they'll play all season long. And let me explain why. Abilene Christian, I know I'm saying it a lot, but they're one of the elite defensive teams in college basketball, number seven nationally in fewest points allowed. I was talking to my buddy Rashad Phillips, great talent evaluator out of Texas. He knows all these kids. And he was saying, look, Abilene Christian has a bunch of JUCO kids. They got a bunch of dogs. They got a bunch of kids that haven't been given anything. And you go up against Texas with all those McDonald's All-Americans and all those elite players, I think Texas has trouble with them. But I do think Texas advances because they're just the better team, and I do think they advance. I'm telling you, I think it's almost like, you know, I'll get to some other games in a minute, but I think if Texas can get by this game, this will be one of the tougher ones. UConn-Maryland. 
Uh, I like UConn. UConn's been awesome down the stretch. They've been playing really well since James Booknight came back. And it's not just that I'm an alum. I just think it's a good matchup for them. Maryland all year has struggled with size down low. I think UConn's guards are as good, if not better, than Maryland's. No disrespect. Maryland's guards are really good. Daryl Morsell, Eric Ayala. But when I look at what Maryland does, they lost to Michigan three times this year, which there's no shame in that. But if you can get physical with them down low, you can win. UConn can do that. Alabama, Iona. Let me just say, shout out Rick Pitino. I still cannot believe that Rick Pitino is in this NCAA tournament. With that said, look, good team, solid team, fun team. Alabama is winning. Back to the top of the bracket, we have Michigan versus St. Bonaventure. And I got Michigan going to the second round of the, or to the Sweet 16. I know they're down Isaiah Livers, but you got to remember, they have a, a, a potential lottery pick in Franz Wagner, Mo Wagner's brother. They still got Hunter Dickinson. And I think that they can, they both have the talent, but they will also out-fundamental St. Bonaventure in round two. So I have Michigan going to the Sweet 16. Uh, in the 5-12 matchup, oh my goodness gracious. This is one of, in my opinion, the hardest ones for me to pick. I'm not sold on Florida State. I'm really just not sold on Florida State. I'm really not sold that they um, that they are like focused and locked in. I mean, look, they lost on the final day of the season to uh, to to Notre Dame. They did lose in the ACC championship game to Georgia Tech. I am going to take Florida State. Uh, no, I'm not. I'm not. You know what? I'm not. Am I? Am I? You know what? I am going to take Florida State. No. What am I going to do here? This is great radio. I had Georgetown in my notes. <sighs> what am I going to do? Georgetown. How do you like that for a dramatic pause? I wasn't planning on doing it. I'm sticking with Georgetown, going to the Sweet 16, all the same reasons that I said. This is probably my worst pick. I'll just be honest. I should take Florida State, but my heart is telling me, Patrick Ewing, Georgetown, they're hot. And it is worth noting with Georgetown, they went 10-4 and four straight up in their last 14 games. One of the losses was at UConn. One of the losses was to Creighton. One of the losses was to Villanova. So it's not like they lost a lot of bad to a lot of bad teams. But I think they're playing really, really, really well down the stretch. I like them to upset Florida State. There's just something not right with Florida State. I don't know what it is, but it's not right. Uh, Texas versus uh, BY or Texas versus Michigan State. Look, I like Texas. I think Texas is really good. Uh, we'll get more in depth with Texas as this tournament goes on. But I just think when you look at their size, their athleticism, and their guard play, they're going to be too much for Michigan. And then, I'll tell you this, guys. If you've heard any interview that I've done all week long, I think this is where the entire bracket opens up. The 2-7 matchup with UConn and Alabama. Um, if, if, if Alabama wins this matchup, I think they can legitimately go to the Final Four. First Final Four in school history. But I think UConn's a really bad matchup for them. One, Danny, Danny Hurley's kind of a mentor for Nate Oates. Might be a little bit of an exaggeration, but Dan Hurley and Nate Oates have a very good relationship. Dan Hurley helped Nate Oates get on Bobby Hurley's staff at Buffalo. That has nothing to do with it, but it's just kind of an interesting fun fact. Um, but when I look at this, um, I just think it's a bad matchup for Alabama. They want to get up, they want to get down, but if you just get physical and you get into them, you can make life difficult for them. I have UConn as the seventh seed advancing to the Sweet 16. Back to the top of the bracket, Michigan-Georgetown. Look, I think this is where the run ends for Georgetown. I love Georgetown. I love the story. I love what they are about. But in a lot of ways, I really do think they're running into a team that is very similar to them, just with better players. I actually said it, and I know it's easy for me to sit here and say now, but during Champ Week, I was talking to some people in basketball. I said, 
Georgetown kind of reminds me of Michigan just with with worse players. Like Michigan, big, athletic, their wings are big, which makes it tough on defense. So I think Georgetown is essentially the exact same team, but I do think Michigan advances to get to the Elite Eight from their bottom of the bracket. Uh, listen, UConn fans, you know I love you. You know I love this program, what Dan Hurley has done there in a couple short years. But I do think this is where the run ends. Texas is really good, and their guard play is so phenomenal. Matt Coleman, fourth-year senior at point guard. Andrew Jones, Courtney Ramey, all third, fourth, fifth-year guys. But it's really the size down low that I think is going to give UConn toughness. They have two seven-footers, Jericho Sims, Kai Jones. Really, Greg Brown's a 6'9", 6'10", super athletic, shot blocking. And I think that's where the issue comes in for UConn down low and then finally in the Elite Eight I can't believe I'm saying this I got Texas Tech and Shaka Smart I've been crushing Shaka Smart for years I think this is his year though I think he's got the right group of guys I think he's got veteran guards they're playing well they won the uh, Big 12 Conference Championship I can't believe I'm saying this I got Texas Tech in the Final Four out of the East region all right let's transfer over to the South region and when I saw the South region on Saturday, on Sunday, the thing that stood out to me is still the thing that stands out to me now. I think as weird as it sounds, Baylor's toughest matchup is going to be in round two against North Carolina. We're going to get into North Carolina in a minute, but they are so big, they're so physical, and they are so tough. That's going to be a really, really tough matchup for Baylor. We'll get into it in a minute. Let's start Baylor versus my University of Hartford Hawks. As I said on Monday's show, grew up about 10 minutes from there. Uh, don't listen, Mom. Cover your ears. But used to go to a couple parties here and there when I was in high school and in college at University of Hartford. Fun school. Baylor is going to roll them. North Carolina, Wisconsin. First of all, North Carolina is playing really well. They are the best rebounding team in college basketball. Four, basically seven-footers that will all just get up in you and make life difficult. And with Wisconsin, listen, I've said it with Wisconsin a bunch. I don't think Wisconsin does anything well, to put it very succinctly. All I hear about Wisconsin is, well, they don't beat themselves. Well, it doesn't matter if you don't beat yourself if you don't do anything to actually win games. Can't create offense. Don't rebound well. Uh, don't shoot the three-point ball well. I like North Carolina to advance out of that spot. Villanova Winthrop. Listen, I know this is a sexy 5-12 matchup, but I've talked to a lot of smart people around basketball, and I think, look, think about this from Villanova's perspective. Yes, they lost in the Big East tournament. They lost by one point to Georgetown. Creighton lost by 25 points to Georgetown. And I get that it was a little bit different, and Georgetown had some momentum. They beat Seton Hall. They beat Villanova. But the bottom line remains... Villanova nearly won that game, and we're talking. And Patrick Ewan sitting at home on the couch watching the tournament, not in the NCAA tournament. So I think Villanova advances here. Purdue, North Texas. North Texas is another one of those teams. They play real defense, but I'm just telling you, um, you know, I'm just telling you. When I look at North Texas, I don't think it's enough for Purdue. It does worry me. Purdue does have a freshman point guard named Jaden Ivy, but he takes care of the ball. And I'll just tell you, I've bet against Purdue way too many times in these things that I do like Purdue to advance down in the bottom half of the bracket. This was an upset that I picked as soon as I saw the bracket, and I'm standing by it. Utah State against Texas Tech. I told you on, what was it, Wednesday's episode, I said, look, this is one of my favorite upsets of, of the NCAA tournament. I just told you that North Carolina is number one in rebounding in all of college basketball. Guess who's number two? Utah State. And the thing with Texas Tech, if you've watched them, outside of Mac McClung, 
they're really athletic, but they're just not very skilled. And it's no disrespect, it's just a fact. And so because of it, when 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 you play Texas Tech, if you can essentially out-tough Texas Tech, you are going to go ahead and beat them. And so because of it, I like Utah State to pull off that first-round upset. Arkansas against Colgate, I talked about it on the show Monday. Oh, Seth Davis gave Colgate a chance. He picked Colgate. Yeah, I don't care what Seth Davis did. Um... Arkansas is going to win this game. And Colgate, for people who don't know, really interesting backstory. Their conference essentially decided they weren't going to allow them to play any out-of-conference games. And then even in-conference play, they could only play three teams. They put everybody in a quad, and they had teams play in their quad or their pod or whatever you call it, and it was teams that you could bust to. So Colgate, yes, they have these crazy advanced metrics. They're top 10 nationally in, in scoring, but they're also number one in the country in three-point defense. Knock on wood, Arkansas fans. I don't mean to put any negative juju out there. I just think that's a product of playing inferior competition. I think Arkansas rolls in this one. Florida, Virginia Tech, I think in the Monday show I picked Florida. I actually like Virginia Tech here. I think Virginia Tech's just one of those teams that are a little bit like St. Bonaventure. They don't do anything great, but they're just really well coached. They actually impressed me in the ACC tournament. I bet against them, but they basically only played two games from like February 10th on. Uh, they go to the ACC tournament off like a, a two-week COVID pause, and they gave North Carolina all they could handle. And physically, there was no reason that they should be competitive with North Carolina. So because of it, I do like Virginia Tech to win that game. Ohio State against Oral Roberts. Oral Roberts, really, really dynamic offensive team. But I'm just telling you straight up, Ohio State is going to win that game. Back up to the top of the bracket, uh, Baylor versus North Carolina. I'm telling you straight up, Baylor is... This is the toughest game that they will have in the entire bracket. North Carolina is so big. They are so physical. They are so tough. They out-rebound their opponents by like 12 boards per game. Just an unbelievable rebounding team. And Baylor, look, they're, they're super athletic and super quick with their guards, but they rely on their guards to rebound. And I like Dayron Sharp, who's seven foot one, 260 pounds for North Carolina, more than I do Jared Butler, six foot three, uh, 180 pounds. But I do have Baylor advancing out of that game. Villanova-Purdue, I do think this is where the Villanova stuff comes to an end. I think these are two just really good teams. Purdue kind of quietly probably doesn't get credit for how good they were throughout this season. Um, you know, they were a team that really, they hit a stride in the middle of uh, January and they won 11 of their final 15 games of the season. We spent so much time talking about Michigan and Illinois and Ohio State in the Big Ten. I don't think people realize how good Purdue was down the stretch. 11 wins in their final 17 games. And so I do have Purdue advancing in that portion of the bracket. And then from there, let's keep it going. Uh, bottom half of the bracket, Arkansas against Utah State. I think Arkansas is too athletic. I think they're too quick. I think they're too skilled. Arkansas advances past Utah State. Virginia Tech, Ohio State. Virginia Tech, nice story. They're not beating Ohio State. So we have Ohio State in the Sweet 16, along with Baylor, Purdue, Arkansas, and Ohio State. Baylor, top of the bracket against Purdue. Listen, Baylor, let me, let me even like backtrack a little bit on Baylor. We spend so much, oh, they're not the same off of COVID. Really? Because they lost to Oklahoma State in the conference tournament, the same Oklahoma State that they beat by 11 a week before. Never forget, Baylor's final week of the season, this is what they did. They won at West Virginia, which is a three seed. They won against Oklahoma State at home, which is a four seed. And they beat Texas Tech, which is a six seed. They basically played three straight Sweet 16 games in the final week of the season, and they won them all. And you guys are telling me that they're not as good as they were. 
I got Baylor advancing past um, past uh, past Purdue into the Sweet 16, into the Elite Eight, excuse me, where I have them playing Arkansas. Listen, I like Ohio State, but I said it on Monday's show, I don't think Ohio State does anything at an elite level. And the thing that they rely on, they rely on their big guy down low, EJ Liddell. The problem is that he's not very big. He's about six foot eight, and I think Arkansas size, Justin Smith, Connor Vanover, I think it's going to give them trouble. If you defend the three-point line against Ohio State, you advance. So I do have Arkansas, Baylor in the, uh, in the final eight. And oh, by the way, a little fun old-school Southwest matchup. I do have Baylor advancing to the first final four in school history. Let's get to the bottom of the bracket because we are going way longer here than I thought. Illinois Drexel, um, you know, unless there's some news that I'm not aware of, Illinois is going to win this game. Loyola Chicago, Georgia Tech, speaking of news, um, I'm sure most of you have seen by now, I'm glad I waited to record, but Georgia Tech's best player, or probably probably their best player, I don't know about their most important player, um, Moses Wright, who is the ACC Player of the Year, he will not be able to play in the opening weekend of the NCAA tournament because of COVID. Just devastating news. I actually had Georgia Tech winning this game. I don't know how you can pick uh, you can pick on them now. I think you have to pick against them. Sorry to the Shield. Sorry to Josh Pastner. But I do have Loyal of Chicago advancing in this one. Tennessee, Oregon State. Listen, I've been on this one all week. Oregon State, by the way, really good down the stretch really good against the spread all year. In other words, they were a team that as the season went on, Vegas did not kind of have them project. They, they basically did not play. They played better than Vegas had them projected on a week-in, week-out basis, and they were just flat-out better than I think a lot of people give them credit for. The thing that stands out to me, one, six wins in their final seven games. They beat their cross-state rival, Oregon, who I believe is a really good team. They beat them twice. And then on top of that, when they got to the Pac-12 tournament, it's not as though they had some easy draw and they were able to advance and everything everything broke their way. They beat UCLA, NCAA tournament team, Oregon, and Colorado to win the Pac-12 championship. And as far as Tennessee is concerned, look, man, I've said it for two months. Will the real Tennessee please stand up? Like, I just, I've been waiting for so long for Tennessee to figure it out, and I just don't believe because they played one good game against Florida and a good half against Alabama that they have magically figured it out. So in an upset, I actually do have Tennessee losing to Oregon State in this game. Oregon State winning again and advancing to the next game of the NCAA tournament. Oklahoma State, I do have Oklahoma State beating Liberty. I'm going to tell you, though, Liberty's tough. Never forget. By the way, you want to know how long ago our last NCAA tournament was? Liberty pulled a 5-12 upset. You know who they beat? They beat Mississippi State. Can you believe that the last time we had an NCAA tournament, Mississippi State was the team that was a five seed? That's how long, that feels like a lifetime ago. Mississippi State, but I say all that to say that I do think that, um, I do think that they advance. Uh, going to the next game, I'll tell you this. I do think Oklahoma State advances, I should say. I'll say this in terms of the next game, San Diego State-Syracuse. This was the single toughest game for me to pick in the entire bracket. Because history tells me that Syracuse is, you know, NCAA tournament. They'll figure it out. They do what they do. Um, but, you know, the more I looked at San Diego State, and I watched a lot of San Diego State this year, the more that I looked at San Diego State, the, the better I do think they match up with Syracuse. Uh, they have a bunch of guards. I would hope that the guards can handle the zone. They shot the ball really well from three, 38% from three. They have guys that can get into the teeth of that zone. Terrell Gomez, uh, Matt Mitchell, Jordan Shackle. 
And so I do have San Diego State winning. That was one that I really kind of went back and forth on a lot. I will ultimately take San Diego State there. Next game, West Virginia Moorhead State. We all love uh, Preston Spradlin, friend of the Aaron Torres podcast, came on last week, but West Virginia's cruising there. Clemson Rutgers, I'll just say it straight up, has to go down as the most boring NCAA tournament game ever. Like, I mean, this is going to be awful. But with that said, Clemson, if you look at their resume, has like a weirdly really impressive resume. You go back to the out-of-conference portion of the slate. Here are some of the teams that Clemson beat in the out-of-conference. They beat Alabama. They beat Purdue. They beat Maryland. Get to the conference tournament. Get to the conference, I mean. They beat Florida State. They beat North Carolina State. They beat Syracuse. They beat Georgia Tech. They're a real team. Who knew? Not me. Not going to lie. Clemson wins that game to advance. Bottom of the bracket, Houston versus Cleveland State. I'll tell you this. Cleveland State's head coach, Dennis Gates, is a stud. Leonard Hamilton, disciple. He was in the mix for a lot of these big-time jobs this offseason. He will be at a Power 5 conference near you. Houston's really good, man. Houston advances there. Back to the top of the bracket, Illinois versus Loyola Chicago. Sister Jean is mad that they put the two Illinois schools together. Shush, Sister Jean. Quiet. You get back on your bus. You go back to Chicago because it's over. Illinois advances here. Oregon State versus Oklahoma State. Uh, I have Oklahoma State winning. I think this is where the run ends for Oregon State. Good story. Cool story. I do think they lose there. San Diego State versus West Virginia. It's an interesting one. I'm not betting against Bob Huggins with Miles McBride, Sean McNeil. They shoot the three ball so well. Uh, I do think San Diego State, weirdly, is the tougher, more physical team, but I will take West Virginia to advance. From there, Clemson, Houston, another one we will not be telling our grandkids about. I have Houston advancing from that side of the bracket. In the Sweet 16, Illinois versus Oklahoma State. Look, the Kate Cunningham story is incredible. Oklahoma State has quietly, I believe, been one of the best teams in the country um, over probably the last month or so of the season. I don't think they probably should have been a four seed. They probably should have been on that three line. But with that said, I said it earlier with Iowa. I just think when you look at the NCAA tournament, at some point you're a really good team and you just run into a better team. And I have Illinois beating Oklahoma State, ending the Cade Cunningham experience at Oklahoma State. In the Sweet 16, West Virginia-Houston. Apparently, I did not see this because on Sunday night I was busy doing the podcast, busy doing everything. But apparently there was like a pretty big... Um, you know, belief that West Virginia had a very advantageous draw in this bracket. I don't see it. I think Houston is flat out the better team. We're going to get to Houston more in depth in a minute. But what stands out to me about Houston, they are number one in the country in field goal percentage defense. They just get after you. They just defend you. They are physical. They are nasty. They are mean. They are tough. Um, But when I look at Houston, um, what I see is a team that is much better offensively than they've ever been. I know we think of Houston from two, three, four years ago. They just get physical. They out-tough you. They win every game 68-60. to 60. That's not who they are anymore. Quentin Grimes, the, the Kansas transfer, he was one of the best scorers in college basketball this year. I think Houston's really good, and I think they have way more offense than people give them credit for. I have them advancing to the Elite Eight to play Illinois, and I told you to start, I have a new Final Four team. I have Houston going to the Final Four. I cannot believe this. I cannot believe I took it. I hate my Final Four already, but my Final Four is Houston, Baylor, Texas. So three Texas schools and Gonzaga. 
And the reason I have Houston is because I just think they're one of the few teams that is physically not going to be intimidated by Illinois. And I love Illinois. I think they're playing maybe better than anybody in college basketball this year. But I just think it's going to be a rude awakening. I mean, I remember watching the Gonzaga-Texas Tech game in the Elite Eight two years ago, 2019 in Anaheim. And Gonzaga was rolling. And they just run into this physical team that they just were not ready for. And I think Houston... More than anybody, they get in your head. They make you play their game. They make you frustrated. I watched them play Memphis twice in the final week of the season, and Memphis was so frustrated playing them. And I think Houston advances to the Final Four for the first time since the 1980s when Akeem Olajuwon was on that team. Final Four games, Gonzaga, Texas. I got Gonzaga. I do have them in the championship game. I think this is where the run ends for Texas. Great story, great team. They're not going to be able to outscore Gonzaga. Baylor, I do think, advances. All right, and finally, national championship game. Baylor and Gonzaga. And guys, I can't believe I'm doing this. Listen, I'm just going to be real with you. I know that I said to lead this show that I had a new national championship pick, and that was honestly my plan. I actually went into this taping thinking that I was going to pick Baylor to win the national championship, but I'm going to go with Gonzaga. And it's kind of ironic, by the way, if you've listened all basketball season long, never forget that I told you guys going into the season, I actually liked Villanova. And then mid-taping of the preseason college basketball show, I actually picked Gonzaga. So it's official, or it's fitting, I should say, that this is how we're going to end college basketball season as far as a bracket is concerned. Um, but I have Gonzaga because... I wasn't anticipating taking Gonzaga. I don't. I want to make sure that it's not emotional. But I do think there's something about if they get to the national championship game at 31 and 0, I just can't see them losing. I just can't. Now there could be some weird COVID stuff or whatever. But if everybody is healthy and everybody is locked in and everybody's good to go, I don't see the scenario where they end up losing in the national championship game. I just think they're too mentally tough. They're too skilled. I like Baylor, but I will take Gonzaga as my 2021 national champion. And yeah, that's my entire bracket. I should mention again, by the way, you've now heard my picks. You know they stink. I mean, I took Houston to go to the Final Four. I took Texas, Shaka Smart, to go to the Final Four. I bring it up to very simply say that uh, if you hate my picks, if you love my picks, make sure to sign up for the Aaron Torres Podcast Bracket Challenge. You can find all the details on my Twitter page, at Aaron underscore Torres. It is pinned to the top there. If you go there, one, make sure to use the promo code Torres when you sign up automatically enter to win a $1,000 cash prize. And then on top of that, the top two winners will get Buffalo Wild Wings gift cards, $250 a piece. And by the way, you, you, I just said it, but you heard my bracket. There's no way I'm winning this thing. So go ahead, enter the Aaron Torres Podcast Bracket Challenge. It is not too late. Go ahead and do it. Now, really quickly, let's get to some best bets. I was going to make this a whole big segment and make it a big deal and do all this and do all that. But we've gone on long enough, so I'm gonna, I'll be quick with this. And, and frankly, there are a lot of games that I've already talked about. So we will start with my favorite bets of the, uh, of, the, of the opening round. And the first one is a game that I've talked about all week. Oregon State plus eight against Tennessee. And when it comes to, first of all, there's two sides to this. One, Oregon State has been an incredible team to bet all season long. They're actually in the top 20 nationally in terms of the best teams to bet on this season, 19-9-1 against the spread, 11-2 against the spread in their last 13 games. But when I look at this matchup, a couple things stand out. The first thing is, listen, I've been talking about Tennessee all year long. 
I feel like we've been talk, we've been looking for Bigfoot about as long as we've been trying to figure out if Tennessee's going to figure it out. And I don't believe that because they had one good game against Florida and one good half against Alabama in the SEC uh, tournament that this is now a team that's magically going to figure it out come NCAA tournament time. I, I just don't – I'm not saying Rick Barnes did a bad job or the players don't like each other. I just think there's some weird disconnect, and because of it, Oregon State is my best bet of the opening round, plus 7.5. Second bet, UConn-Maryland. I talked about it. UConn was actually a 1.5-point favorite. They're now up to 3. And I'll just say, I think what Maryland's done, I actually think Mark Turgeon's done a good job this year. But the bottom line is they really are not that big and not that physical down low. UConn is super physical, and the way Maryland beats you is they just outplay at the guard position, and I think UConn's guards are better than Maryland's guards. So I think UConn is a very convincing win in round one. I like them minus three against Maryland in this game. Third game, another one that I've talked about a lot this week, so I'm not going to spend a ton of time on it, but Georgetown. I like Georgetown. I've said it since Monday. I said it on Wednesday's show. I said it earlier this show, and I'll say it again. I, they're, they're a lot like Colorado, and I just think they're better than Colorado. Colorado, the way that Colorado has to beat you is by out-physicaling you, and nobody is going to out-physical Georgetown. Nobody has all year. I should mention, they were an incredible bet at the at the uh, Big East tournament. They were underdogs in four straight games and won four straight games outright. They were like an eight-and-a-half-point underdog against Creighton. They won by 25. So they've been an incredible team to bet. I don't think it's slowing down in the NCAA tournament. I do like Georgetown. That is bet number three. Bet number four, Virginia Tech is a pick em against Florida. Um, and I'll just be real. I just I, I just think Virginia Tech is going to win. And if you don't know betting parlance or like terms um, – you know, what you need to know, a pick'em bet just basically means you got the, the bet is basically determined on who wins and who loses. There's no point spread. You don't have to figure out how many points teams are going to win by. So I like Virginia Tech to win that game. Fifth bet. Or is it my fourth bet? My fifth bet. VCU Oregon. The over-under is 137. I love the over in this game. This game is going to be fast, up-tempo, a lot of scoring. I think both teams get into the 70s. I think potentially one team gets into the 80s. And so when you talk about a fast, high-scoring game, that favors a lot of points. So I like the over of 137 in this game. And should I make one more pick? No, you know what? I was going to make one more pick for tonight, but screw it. Let's stay away. I got my five picks out there. Oregon State plus 7.5. UConn minus 3. Uh, Georgetown plus 5.5. Virginia Tech pick them. Oregon VCU over 137. Please gamble responsibly. Do with them as you please. But I figured, like I said, it's legal to gamble in a lot more states than it was the last time there was an NCAA tournament for sure. I know Illinois, Michigan, West Virginia, Tennessee, a bunch of these states, it is now legal. So those are my official gambling picks for the opening two days, well, really three days, basically the Friday, Saturday of the NCAA tournament. All right, I think that's it. Let's get to the head coach of Mount St. Mary's playing in the first NCAA tournament game since 2019, Dan Engelstead. Really quickly, though, before we get to Dan Engelstead, I do want to welcome back one of our favorite sponsors, and that's PicksWise. PicksWise is the number one home of free sports betting picks. You can find the who, how, and why behind every pick for every sport, every game, every day, all for free, all at PicksWise.com. 
Throughout March, PicksWise is running a college basketball handicapping contest featuring some of the best experts in the game. Get free daily betting picks and analysis from the likes of John Rothstein, Rashad Phillips, and more. Head over to PicksWise.com now to see which expert is hot as they battle it out for a winner-takes-all $10,000 cash prize. Make your next bet better with PicksWise, PicksWise.com. All right, that's really for it, though. That's really it. Way longer, as always, than I plan on going, but that's how it goes. It's March. I'm going crazy. I'm having fun. Let the kid live a little bit, okay? Let me live. But it is now time to get out of here. It's now welcome, time to welcome in Dan Engelstead, the head coach of Mount St. Mary's basketball. Of course, Mount St. Mary's will tip off the NCAA tournament tonight, 5-10 Eastern, first game of the NCAA tournament since 2019, since Virginia beat Texas Tech in overtime for a national championship. Before we get out of here, I want to remind everybody, please make sure that you're subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast, iTunes, the Podcast Addict app, Podbean, Spotify, TuneIn Radio. If you are on the KSR feed, please make sure to come over and subscribe here. Make sure to rate and review the show. Go ahead, give us a quick five stars. Let us know what you like, what you don't like, all that good stuff. Make sure you're following on social media, at Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter, at Aaron Torres Pod on Instagram, Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com. And like I said, if you want to get in on the Aaron Torres Podcast Bracket Challenge, make sure to go ahead, go to my Twitter page, at Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter, and all the information is there. You heard my picks. You know they stink. So you might as well come in, have some fun, play against me, all with Bracket Fanatics. And like I said, it'll be really fun. We'll have a really good time, and that is that. But I've talked long enough. That is all for this segment. Dan Engelstead, head coach of Mount St. Mary's, coming up. Until then, shout out to Torrent Craig. Shout out to Rachel who hates my voice. I will be back maybe Tuesday. I don't know if I'll do a Monday episode because that'll be right in the middle of the second round. But we'll be back sometime early next week. But now here is the head coach of Mount St. Mary's, Dan Engelstead. All right, joining me via Zoom, uh, very excited to have this guest. So the NCAA tournament obviously tips off on Thursday, literally the first game, as best I can tell, Mount St. Mary's, Texas Southern, the head coach of Mount St. Mary's, live from the controlled environment slash bubble in Indianapolis, Dan Engelstad. Dan Engelstad, I just tripped over your name. I said I wasn't going to, but Dan Engelstad, coach, how you doing today? I'm, I'm I'm fired up to be on with you, Aaron. Appreciate you having me. And uh, yeah, we get to be the first game back. So let's uh, let's do it. Let's make it happen. You, you are the first NCAA tournament game since Virginia, Texas Tech, which is kind of wild to think about. Um, you're in Indy. So, you know, one of the reasons I want to have you on, I want to talk about the game, the tournament, your season. But I just wanted some boots on the ground. What is it like for you and your guys in Indianapolis right now? So we're recording here on Monday. People will be able to listen to this later in the week. Uh, when did you get into town and what are the protocols? What are you allowed to do? What are you not allowed to do as we record here on Monday? So we, we um, got our guys together um, on Friday before we left on Saturday and our administration went through the 150 page packet wow. of protocol. So for me, you know, we had a good practice that morning before we left and I put the keys to being successful in March. And one of them was follow the protocols. You know, that's like for us, we want to play, got to make sure that we test negative and, and get that opportunity um, to do that. So um, we hopped on a bus uh, 
we had multiple buses. That's what the NCAA does. They don't have the team travel in one, and we're not a very large travel party, but they're trying to keep everyone with their distance. They have certain masks that the NCAA has mandated we use. Um, so we got to wear those masks. And uh, we arrived um, from a police escort. We arrived to BWI and, and had a chartered flight, which for our guys is a really unique and cool experience. Um, so that was, you know, it still felt special. Like they, you know, we were getting a, a, a great opportunity. Um, we fly in, uh, we get into Indianapolis, same deal. We had three buses waiting us, uh, take the police escort and we, we arrived at the Hyatt. And from there we meet one time as a team with a NCAA um, worker who explained to us what our uh, day was gonna look like. We went and got our tests, uh, got to our room, uh, couldn't leave the room for 12 hours, come back down in the morning, test again, uh, couldn't do anything until that test result. So we had two tests you had to pass and then you can get back within your team um, with activity. So they still can't hang out and lounge with each other. They can't be in the rooms. They Everyone has a separate room. Um, we were able to get together for a selection show, which was the first time we were back together as a group, which was a, a, a really great experience for us. And, and then right after that, we, we got our stuff and went over to the convention center, which is connected through the hotel for a practice. Uh, then you get back to your room, got your late night meal, wake up the next morning, test again, practice. And now we have study halls and uh, trying to occupy their time as much as possible. So they're not just stuck in a room, but um, they're doing, they're doing, you know, uh, our guys are following the protocols and, and I think most teams are and um, in hopes that we can get this tournament off the ground and, and back playing. Let me ask you a question. So, and I've said this a few times on this show, um, you know, and, and I'm not saying you, but people in general love to criticize the NCA for everything. And I think sometimes I'll say it so nobody else has to. Sometimes it's justifiable, but I think a lot of times it really isn't. And what I've tried to tell people that don't follow college basketball day in and day out is the NCA put a ton of time into the thought process into this tournament to get it safely off the ground and to get it done because this is what everybody has wanted all season long. Do you feel like that's a fair assessment? Just that I, I just feel like the NCA has gone above and beyond ensuring your guys' safety when you travel, when you get there, when you play, when you practice, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean, we can't even interact as people. They have everything from our, our walking path. You know, there can't be anyone from the outside that gets into this bubble. So they've really planned ahead and you got to give them credit. And I know um, they're trying to ensure the safety. And, you know, they also um, are trying to make you feel special too. And, and I think our guys do feel that. So you got to give them credit where credit's due. Very good. Uh, I want to talk about your, your team a little bit, but also about your own career, uh, doing some research. Uh, so you were at Southern Vermont before Mount St. Mary's. As you referenced, you were at Mount St. Mary's in, in uh, a previous tournament run several years ago. But Southern Vermont, which kind of wild story, is now a school that's not even open anymore, if I'm correct. Uh, but you took a team that went, I believe, something in the neighborhood of like one in 24 to 25 and four in two years. Is that correct? And if so, how do you go about flipping a culture, flipping a program like that? Because that's unbelievable. Really good players. Sure. <laughs> so let's, you know, I, I was very fortunate. You know, we did a, a great recruiting job when I got there and got some really good people and players in place and, and a staff and, um, you know, Southern Vermont is one of the, was one of the smallest, as you said, no longer in existence, um, but it was one of the smaller division 
three programs in the country. It only had 250 kids. And wow. uh, for me, I was, I was an assistant for six years and I didn't care where it was. I wanted to call a timeout and screw it up. And, you know, <laughs> Southern Vermont, Southern Vermont gave me that opportunity. And, um, you know, it was my dream job at the time, you know, and I feel like that's how you make this thing work in this profession is you just dive into where you're at and try to make it the best story and make it the best, um, you know, and, and that place provided, you know, I met my wife there, got my kids. We um, had some great moments and won some championships and impacted lives and they impacted ours. And so for, for that reason, you know, I'm, I'm very thankful uh, for my time at Southern Vermont, even though it no longer exists. How do you recruit to a school of 250 students? Because I mean, you know, the, the thing that I think most people sell in recruiting is campus, li- obviously not this season, cause there is none, but campus life, uh, you know, uh, you don't recruit to parties and that kind of stuff, but you know, you wanna be around people your age, have fun, go to football games on the weekend. How do you, how do you sell a school that only has 250 people? Well, the thing with recruiting is you gotta create a vision for them and so you know we, we tried to create this vision of what this basketball could look like the president at the time she wanted us to be really good so hey this is what's going to happen if you come here here's opportunity you know if we do this together something really special can happen and i was fortunate enough to have guys that believed in that vision and and came you know I, a lot of them were dc area guys that's where i'm from and uh, i ended up bringing 12 from that area to a small little school in vermont and and um I'm still very close to all of those players today and, and we created something pretty special. So, um, you know, you just got to create that vision and, and I was fortunate enough that they believed in it. What was the vision besides winning a lot of games? Well, that we were going to have a lot of fun, that we were going to compete, that it was going to be a fun up-tempo style, that it was, uh, we were going to play, you know, we go back home and play in the Washington DC area, that we were going to play at the University of Vermont and have them get that division one experience. And, um, and, and for some of these guys, they were junior college kids and, you know, this is their last chance to play. And, and they just trusted me with their, with their last couple of years of college basketball. Let's talk a little bit about this year's team for people who have not seen Mount St. Mary's, you know, by the way, for people who don't know Mount St. Mary's in the NEC, you guys have a- actually had a ton of uh, recent success. Jamie and Christian, who's a friend of mine, took this program to the NCAA tournament twice within the last couple of years. Um, Tell us just a little bit, yeah, before we even get to this year's team, tell us a little bit about your school. I mean, one of the great things about March Madness, you get these schools. You know, I, I, as somebody who does this 365 days a year, I have people calling me. What do you know about UC Santa Barbara? What do you know about uh, Grand Canyon, University of Hartford, right where I grew up? Tell us a little bit about Mount St. Mary's rich basketball tradition, a Hall of Fame coach uh, in another iteration prior to your arrival, prior to Jamie and Christian's arrival. But you guys have a rich basketball tradition, and a lot of people maybe not, does, don't know about that. Yeah, I mean, you, you, you hit it on the head with the rich basketball tradition. I mean, you start with Coach Phelan, right? And he's 91, turning 92 next week. And we won the championship, and my wife and I are coming up to get our – nose poked and get our COVID test. And I looked over there, I said, we got to bring this trophy over to coach. I know a mentor of mine and, um, you know, you connect the, the basketball mentors that I've had, you know, Jamie and included, he's somebody that built, did a great job here and won twice in six years. And um, coach Brown, who I was fortunate enough to, to work with, and it's the size of 2000 students. So we are one of the smaller division one universities. They have a passion for the people in this university, our president, um, believes in uh, the basketball programs, uh, not just ours, our women's 
Uh, I know this is going to air later, but our women's program just rang the bell yesterday. So we're very, we're, there's not a whole lot of programs that have the men's and women's side that win their conference championships in advance. And it's because um, it's a basketball school. Uh, they take care of our student athletes and they want to be good. And, and we are close to some of the best players in, you know, all of college basketball. We have the DC area right in our backyard and, um, you know, we're very fortunate and I'm very fortunate to, to have this great opportunity um, to carry on that legacy and that tradition. And, you know, it, it was a lot of weight when I got the job. I really wanted to deliver and wanted to be part of that history of winning championships. And, um, you know, this one was emotional for me just because we put a lot of work in these last couple of years to get to this point. We're going to talk about that emotion in a minute, but tell us a little bit about your team. Again, NEC champs, uh, you played on, I think it was Tuesday night against Bryant in the conference championship game. Um, tell us a little bit about your team for people who haven't seen it. You guys have gone through all sorts of adversity. I believe you had a few players opt out because of the COVID decisions. Another player left midseason. The guys that are still there are grinding, though, win a conference championship. I mean, it's an incredible story. Tell us a little bit about your team. They're tough, man. I mean, this year was tough on everybody. Um, and I know a lot of people went through it, but you can see when your team's starting to get that momentum and starting to get that rhythm. And we played such a tough non-conference schedule, even our, even this year, we played Maryland and VCU. Um, we had some injuries for the VCU game, but we were up two with six minutes to go against Maryland. And we played Navy, who was a, they had a, one of their best seasons in school history. And it was a back and forth game and they uh, ended up winning by a few points, but we were playing good basketball. And we beat St. Francis PA, a team that I hadn't beaten since I took over by almost 20. And it was, you could just see it. And we were getting ready for UMBC and our practice. And I called my wife on the way home and said, that was the best practice I've ever been a part of. Wow. And it was just live. It was energetic. And we were, and then that night I get a call from our trainer. Hey, you got a case and just complete shutdown. And during that shutdown, we lost our leading scorer at the time. And during that shutdown, you're trying to connect with your guys and be on Zoom, but you can't be with them. And at that time, it was like, you guys are basically in isolation. You can't do anything. So you're trying to keep them up. You're trying to keep them engaged. And then you get back to it. And we got back to it again. And then we started getting another rhythm. And guys, then we shut down. And then we bring them back. And it's a month before we play a game. And at this point, you're so scared. You almost have PTSD. We split the groups up. So in case one group goes down, we don't. So now we didn't practice as a team. So then we got to go play on the road in New York and we lose the game and guys are in, you know, they're not in a good space. And that's when what happened at the Capitol. And then you got to talk about that stuff with your teams. And then you keep going forward. And, and it just was a lot of stuff thrown upon all of us. And leadership wasn't easy, but our guys kept fighting. They kept pushing. And I told them that's the message for the rest of their life is that like, you guys are champions and it's because you guys never stopped. You kept persevering, you kept pushing it. And ultimately now, you know, you, you can look at your children and tell them that, you know, that, that you've tasted adversity, you went through it. And at the end of the day, you were the last one standing in the NEC and fulfilling a, a childhood dream that I know we all had and going to the NCAA tournament. So just really proud of our guys, man. They're a f- tough, gritty, fun group. Well, and that's what I was going to ask is, is take us through, and I've had other coaches on here talking about it, but you know, the thing that, that I emphasize with anybody that listens to this show uh, is a couple things. I think one, um, it isn't just players. Uh, I always, you know, I was talking a student manager at, at a power five school. I won't name the school. I don't know if he wants it out there. Um, you know, tested positive right before the conference tournament. He can't go to the conference tournament, can't go to the, the NCAA tournament. And he was crushed, you know, 
Um, and I know he's listening, so I, I feel terrible for you, my man. But I, I bring it up because everyone thinks, oh, you know, if you can keep your 12 players healthy, you know, you're good. Uh, but it isn't. It's assistant coaches. It's head coaches. It's trainers. It's student managers. And then you have a positive case and it's, well, who's their roommate? Who are they in close contact with? Who do they share an office with? Just take us through the grind of this season. And it, it was for everybody. But, you know, the grind of this season, and, and let's be honest, and I don't mean to be condescending or rude in any way, but Mount St. Mary's doesn't have the advantages that a Duke or a Kentucky or Carolina does in terms of maybe how you can travel under, you know, for a road game, how you can lodge for a road game. Just take us through how challenging it was. And I, I know you just talked about how proud you are of your guys, but this wasn't easy for anybody. But but I'm sure, especially for you guys, as you said, a month shutdown, it must have been, uh, you know, a very challenging experience. Experience. Yeah, we well, got to go through the testing. And as coaches, like the hard part for me was coaching COVID. You know, we teach our guys to be close. You teach them to interact with each other. You teach them, you know, to huddle up tight. And when you're bringing the guys back, you're actually telling them to distance. And you can't stay at the court this way. And so not only trying to coach basketball, you're coaching what you've been told to coach in terms of the COVID protocols, which is it just it's a stress. And every time you take a test, you're holding your breath hoping that it's, and then you got to text the guy saying, hey, we're all good, or hey guys, we got to hop on a Zoom, and they knew what that meant. It meant probably it wasn't good. And, and for our guys, I mean, we had one game, we drove 16 hours, Aaron. We drove 16 hours, eight hours up to Bryant, get in there, watching film as a team, breaking it down, getting ready for the game the next morning, get a call from my AD, Brian's got a case. Oof. So we drove eight hours to Providence to tell the guys, in the hotel that we're not playing a game. So we drove eight hours coming back, 16 hours on a bus and didn't play a game. So like, you gotta work your guys through that. And like, you know, now prepare for the next opponent and your staff is just throwing scouts away that they worked on. And, you know, you gotta keep them up too. And, and thank goodness they were able to keep me up as well. I mean, it, it, it really takes a resilient group. And that's why I got a lot of respect for everybody that participated this year and the guys that got through and especially the last one standing that were able to you know, handle the adversity to, to, to get to this point. How do you keep your guys close in a season like this? Because like you said, and I think it's something every college basketball program struggled with, you know, you want to have the guys over the house for a barbecue in the summer. You want to let them play video games when you get out of practice. They want time away from you uh, and you want time away from them, I'm sure. So how do you keep that team bond, that team camaraderie when you're going two, three weeks, whatever it is, you can't even be in the same room, even if you're six feet apart with each other. How do you keep that team camaraderie? Not easy because at that point, everyone had gotten so sick of Zoom. You know, early <laughs> on, it was like, okay, let's hop on Zoom. We had some great discussions. We read books together. We talked about last dance you know we did things to try to connect even though we weren't together but at that point mid-season it's like you know all right and it's the grind of the practices so they really don't want to see me at that point but you got to keep them engaged so we, we did some fun things with like our, our women's program and men's program was shut down at the same time we brought um an outside program to come in and do a trivia night with our teams just to try to lighten it up and 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 connect that way but Aaron, you hit it on the head. I mean, it wasn't easy, and I'm sure we did made a lot of mistakes along the way. But, um, you know, just seeing us practice now, I can tell that this group is tighter than it's ever been. And I can imagine going through the, the stuff that they did is a reason why they're connected to this level. 
I had Eric Musselman on from Arkansas over the summer. He talked about doing post last dance uh, uh, Zoom calls with his team. And, you know, what lessons did you learn from Michael this week? How'd your guys enjoy the last dance? Because, you know, I don't know exactly how old you are. I think we're about the same age. I do remember the Michael Jordan era uh, and I loved reliving it. I made my wife watch it with me. She had a blast watching it. How'd the guys like, were there some, some team LeBron guys that maybe flipped over to team MJ after that one or what? We flipped a few. We flipped a few. I remember we we had some heated discussions, especially going <laughs> into that. And it was the most fun I've ever wa had watching television, just because if you remember at the time when it came out, there was nothing live on. There was nothing new. It was like, I remember I was trying to become a handyman and I'm terrible around the house. <laughs> yep. I'm going crazy. And now I got this to look forward to. And it was it was a release. And our guys really embraced it. We had some great discussions and um, you know, the Rodman episode was classic and talked about if they went to Vegas, what the repercussions would be. So we had, <laughs> we had, the, we had some, we had some good team conversations and it was, it was fun, but no, MJ is the goat. There's no denying it. Oh, and okay. There never, there never will be another MJ, just the mindset. And he's, he's borderline insane, but that's, uh, a lot of the great ones are. <laughs> yeah, they said the same thing about Einstein, I think, or something like that. Or that's what I try to tell myself whenever I do something dumb and, and I'm getting yelled at. But uh, very good. Anything else we need to know about your team? I mean, you know, I obviously caught a little bit of the Bryant game. Uh, your point guard, very fun to watch. His name's Damian John Kui. I hope I said that right. I think I was like 80% of the way there. Incredible story. Five foot eight. My understanding is started his high school career at four foot nine. Uh, was a walk-on with you guys. And, and that was one of the stories that stood out as I watched both you guys play, but also did some reading and obviously some research before we hopped on here. Yeah, what a story he is. Um, you know, I'm the dummy that didn't give him a scholarship out the gate. So he's, uh, he's got a chip on his shoulder. Uh, and actually, it's a boulder uh, with everything that young man's endured. And, and he's, uh, he's special. He's just one of the hardest working young men I've ever been around. And he's got the ball in his hands for us quite a bit. I mean, we um, wanted to play a certain style coming into the season. We had to flip that. We wanted to be up-tempo and fast. But for us to win games, we are big. We are long, we're athletic. We are an elite defensive team. We're one of the top 20 teams in terms of points per game allowed, and we're up there in field goal percentage defense and three-point field goal percentage defense. So we do have an identity this year where we really guard you, um, and we're hopeful that that can uh, you know, help us in this run in, in March. It did on the road. We were able to beat some good teams in our league, and we had to do it you know, not in the comforts of home. And so our guys are, are built tough, and um, – we play Texas Southern and we know they're a really good opponent and we're looking forward to that challenge, but also, you know, we, we, uh, we're not going to be scared. We're going to fly around and play against anybody and, and compete. Last question for you. You know, what do you, uh, you know, what else, I mean, what else do we need to know about your team, your program, the process, how you're passing time in Indy? I mean, what, what haven't we hit on that you want fans to know about Mount St. Mary's basketball? No, just that this, uh, this small school in Emmitsburg, Maryland, um, is a special place. And you're going to see a group of guys that are connected. Um, you're going to see a, a passionate fan base. Um, we've been working really hard. When I took over a couple years ago, we were the youngest team in America um, with no juniors or seniors. And, and now these guys have grown up. And we're just excited about the future and the direction. And, um, you know, the fact that I'm on with you, you know, I, I, get, I get a chance to talk with the big guys now, which is uh, – which is exciting. We don't want to, we, we want to make sure that we're uh, continuing this and we have everybody 
on paper returning next year. So the future's bright. And, uh, you know, we're looking forward to some bright years here at Mount St. Mary's for sure. So what you're saying is I need you to I need to pre-book you for about March 15th or so 2020. No, I don't want to I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves here. But uh, Dan Engelstead, the head coach, uh, Mount St. Mary's basketball, the opening game of the NCAA tournament, Texas Southern, 5, 10 p.m. Eastern. If my memory is correct, I'm doing this all off the top of my head on Thursday, the first play in game. Coach, we appreciate your time. A uh, lot of fun, a lot of insight. And best of luck when you take the court on Thursday. Aaron, appreciate you, man. This was a blast. And we'll, we'll talk soon. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.